You're on mute, sir. What's going on, Jake? There he is. Pleasure to uh, turn the tables and host you for once. The third eye is open and my mic is unmuted. I'm ready to rock. There you go. Um, appreciate you joining me, man. I appreciate everyone for tuning in so far. Going to put out a little tweet. Hopefully get some more folks in here. And we'll get ready to rock. I mean, how are you, how are you generally feeling about... Oh, excuse me. Oh, I clear my throat for like a minute here. Um, how are you feeling about the league, the season generally? Are you, are you excited for this year? Are you fatigued because you've been podcasting your ass off all summer long? What's kind of the Tom Haberster update as we enter the 2022-2023 campaign? I'm just ready for some basketball, honestly. I think we all are. You know, like when you look at what the NBA has gone through this offseason, talking about the Kevin Durant trade demand, the uh, request to fire both his head coach and his GM, the Robert Sarver stuff, the Ime Odoka stuff, um, and then just the Draymond Green punch. It seems like this is the most rocky offseason we've had in a long time. Outside of lockouts and outside of like labor issues, um, this does seem like the most off-court turmoil we have seen in the NBA in quite some time. And I think everyone is ready for some basketball actually to be at the forefront of the conversation. Yeah, I think we talked a lot on your show, Basketball Illuminati, uh, earlier in the week about um, all, all, all kind of the, the gossip that is, um, I don't know, taking center stage when like the, what's happening really on the ground is all these teams around the league, whether they are a playing team from last year, ex- expecting like Cleveland expecting to, or Atlanta as well, move out of that picture all entirely. Or if you were a team like the Sixers or a team like Milwaukee that, made the second round, but has greater aspirations. Like every team outside of the, the, the bunch at the bottom that is expecting to be uh, racing for ping pong odds at Victor Wambanyama and Scoot Henderson and, and what have you, like pretty much the other 24 teams in the league are all expecting, not just believing and hoping, but they're expecting to take a step up in this NBA stratosphere, which as we said on that show, like it can't happen for everyone. And that's where the drama I think is going to lie on the court. For sure. For sure. And we're already seeing some of the carnage of basketball. You know, I've been covering the injury side of the NBA for quite a long time. And everyone who starts out zero and zero has hopes of being healthy. Like everyone looks into this season, everyone's healthy, best shape of their lives. Hashtag muscle watch. And everyone's all coming up roses and butterflies until the actual games start happening. And then you see things like here in Charlotte, um, the star of the franchise, the very foundation by which everything else is built. LaMelo Ball goes down in a heap of pain after turning his ankle. And then everything gets flipped on its head, right? So to your point, there's more than half the league right now that is trying to win games. However, what do injuries to LaMelo balls of the world or the Damian Lillard's of the world or Bradley Beal 
Like, what does that do to the long-term future of these franchises that are seeing the alien that you saw up close and personal? Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, they've been scouting them for years. There is a business aspect to this equation that I don't think we've had in quite some time. Like, Ben Simmons, great prospect. Um, John Wall, great prospect. Anthony Davis, that weird, um, the unibrow, all of that stuff that we saw in Kentucky had some business appeal about like, man, this guy, he's kind of a freak. Like he's, he's got these abilities that we don't really see too often. But in terms of marketability and in terms of selling the vision of your future, nothing is like Victor Wembenyama, not even LeBron. Like LeBron, you show a clip of LeBron in high school to my mom or to my aunt or to my uncle who's never watched sports in his life, they'll be able to pick out LeBron James and be like, oh, that guy's pretty good, huh? The Victor Wembenyama thing, you don't have to know anything about sports to see that that's the big ticket. That is something I can't take my eyes off of. And when you're a team like the Hornets or the Wizards or um, you know, even, even the Blazers, I think, are going to be in this, in this position too if something happens to their star players – is, oh, we have a chance at like a billion-dollar player, a half-a-billion-dollar player in Victor Wembanyama. We need to reorganize our entire future and pivot around those chances because that, that is a lottery ticket. You mentioned one thing there that I want to go off on a very, very, very minor tangent on, but you're someone who has his third eye open at all times. Look, man, you mentioned the brow. You mentioned marketability. I had this thought this summer. I threw it by a marketing friend. They told me I was crazy, but I want to pitch it to you. Okay. There's there's a wide open lane for an NBA player to become the stash. There is no NBA player recognizable by their mustache. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. Why why hasn't it happened? Am, am I am I overthinking this? Is this stupid, silly, or is this a genius marketing ploy that could turn anyone from Austin Reeves to someone of Anthony Davis's caliber into the next great NBA commercial machine. Yeah, cuz we have the beard, right? We have James Harden. Beard, He's already You got the brow, the, the beard. Um Allen's the, the pro. Yep. Yeah, we've got all that. Um sideburns, I don't think we have someone who's got sideburns. The stash, man. The stash is is an is a void that needs to be filled. I mean, I guess Larry Bird has that on lock from his playing days. Um, maybe Kurt Rambis uh, as well. But I can't say that we have an NBA star that has done the stash move to marketability. I mean, in the NFL, I guess some players. I mean, we got um, what's Gardner that Minshew. Dude? Gardner Minshew. Backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Yeah, who's going to be the Gardner Minshew of – the NBA. That's the real question, right? It's it's the perfect, you know, someone was telling me this recently, but also Addison Mar- someone's saying Adam Morris. I'm talking about a modern day player who could show up in like state farm commercials and kind of rub his fingers over his upper lip. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> a modern day. And, and look, there's a proven way. If you're a role player in this league, there's a proven way to make sure you've got a 10 year career. It's very simple. You just got to befriend a couple of all-stars. That's all you got to do. And if you can 
do that while also growing out a mustache and getting in their commercials alongside them, doing a little State Farm Chris Paul thing or a little discount double check next to whatever, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I think it's possible. I may be well, crazy. You're not crazy. Um, you just mentioned Chris Paul. He can't do it because then he would be Cliff Paul. That's what I'm saying. Can't be Chris. It's got to be someone who wants to latch on to Chris's, you know, marketability-ness by being the teammate. Like a Landry Shamit. Landry Shamit could pull off a little Wario-looking stash. Let's get it done. I don't know. Someone's got to become the stash. That's my plea. Um, I mean, Kaminsky, I really, he can do that, right? I don't think Kaminsky's on Phoenix anymore, unfortunately. I think Jock, I, uh, after doing some research, after doing my own research about the Phoenix Suns and, and Jake Crowder the last uh, 84 hours of this week, um, Jock Landale is the new Frank Kaminsky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Atlanta, right? Yeah. So, I, Well, I think I think when you look at the, the candidates um, – there's 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 some there's some opportunity there, but I, I will say, the <laughs> unibrow and LeBron LeBron's thing is interesting. LeBron's um, like chin strap beard that he's been going on since Miami. Um, he's he has been flirting with going bald for so long. It's for distracted long the time. world from the fact that he has a gray beard. Literally, like he is a gray beard, and he makes sure that that thing. Um, I remember. I think it was in the bubble. Where like he, it was going gray for a little bit, and then magically it was like just jet black. And <laughs> I think it's I think who's um, a shoe polish gate two <laughs> I think I think LeBron is at that point in his career where he's like flirting with the idea of going bald and coming home, as we like to say for those uh, follically challenged. Um, I count myself <laughs> in that group, um, but I think I think look. Uh, the, the mustache has to happen. I don't know who it's going to be, but I like this idea. If it happens, you guys, all 55 of you listening live right now, you know where it came. All right, back to task. We were talking about Charlotte. Um, I'm curious if your Russell Westbrook trade prediction is connected there because, look, in the spring, that was certainly – and Lamelo's going to have to get paid – Eventually, at the time, uh, there was certainly expectations that Miles Bridges was up for $170 million or something like that. I forget the exact numbers off the top of my head. Uh, maximum contract before um, the unfortunate events from all aspects occurred with him in Los Angeles and the ongoing uh, litigation there, or whatever the correct terminology is. He's no longer in the picture, right? But um, I think... Still, even with that, the fact that Gordon Hayward's on the books and Terry Rogier's on the books and Charlotte doesn't seem to be – I mean, the Hornets, if you talk to 10 league staffers, I think 7 out of 10, my rough estimate off of the conversations I had this week, are are predicting Charlotte to be the team that even – it was happening even before LaMelo got hurt. But they are predicting Charlotte to be the team that has playing or playoff aspirations that is most likely to find themselves bumbling games maybe down the stretch in hopes of, of attaining said alien you were referring to earlier. So as, a, as a, our native Charlotte correspondent, what say you about where you believe the, this team should be going directionally? And are you of the mind that some type of 
Westbrook deal, which again, we're just talking in, in, in concept here in the spirit of the show title. This is just one man's opinion, but I believe you have some takes that you'd like to get off your chest. Yeah, well, when you look at Russell Westbrook uh, this preseason, it's not going well. It's not going well. And I'm not even talking about this stuff that went viral last night um, against Minnesota where he was appearing to not partake in the huddle in the game, in the game, before the game. Um, that's not what I'm talking about, although the optics of that don't look great. And these things sort of take a life of its own. As you've been covering the league, you know that like um, – a viral video or something that happens and becomes a meme on the internet, it has a life of its own and players have to keep getting asked about those things. And it gets very annoying. And these teams carry that weight wherever they go. And it gets very aggravating having to answer all these questions, Russell Westbrook's commitment to the team, why he's not part of these huddles, whether it's legit or whether there's other stuff going on. That's just a pain. And this season for the Lakers is really about LeBron James chasing Kareem's title, uh, the scoring, the all-time scoring record, and Anthony Davis's return to the throne, right? Like, those are the two biggest storylines for the Lakers. And every time that we talk about the Russell Westbrook sideshow of, like, him shooting off the side of the backboard or, or turning it over or not being a part of the huddle and look at, like, the way he's talking about Patrick Beverly, the more that this adds up, the more, to me, it feels like we are headed quickly to a departure, right? Um, in the off season, like I said before, everyone's zero, zero, everyone is undefeated. And so you can paint a rosy picture and then the ball tips off and Russell Westbrook looks as unhelpful as ever. Um, his usage rate is now in the, in the preseason at 21%. And those things track from the right, the preseason to the regular season now in the, in the, preseason at 21% and those things track from the right the preseason to the regular season so if you see a drop in usage rate in the regular season it's usually preceded by in the in the preseason as the, the those exhibition games are playing that the drop is already evident in those preseason numbers so you can shrug it off if you want but it should be at this point in Russell's career so when Charlotte is going forward this season at the start of the summer they had two play-in tournament appearances. They were on the cusp of the playoffs. LaMelo Ball is an all-star at age 20. He's putting up huge numbers. He's an absolute magnetic personality here in Charlotte. Everything you would want in a franchise pillar. He's got bravado. He's got charisma. He's got a game that is so fun to watch. He can shoot from 30 feet in. He can dunk. He can fly. He can pass. His vision is insane. He's got the pistol Pete. Uh, throwing the ball halfway down the floor. Like he sees the game before the actual, like the chess move before the chess move happens. This guy is everything another you guy, want in a point Another card. guy, ironically, who likes some alien UFO type of uh, materials with his sneakers and very Rick and, <laughs> big Rick and Morty guy. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting data points together. That's all I'm saying. Data points together. That's all I'm saying. You're connecting some dots is what you're doing. I appreciate oh, this yeah. as a soldier in the, in the fight to keep everyone's eyes open on these things. Like Rick and Morty on shoes absolutely portends that Victor Wembanyama is coming to Charlotte, right? Um, <laughs> this is all one healthy. Yes. Right? If that guy that is selling out the lower bowl of the Charlotte Hornets arena, um, if, that, if season ticket holders are lining up to put their um, – 
if that if season ticket holders are lining up to put their money down to see LaMelo Ball and he's not healthy, he's not available, that changes the course of the franchise. It does. Um, the injury that he suffered the other night, it looks like a, a one to two week thing, possibly a grade two sprain, but they're going to want to take things very careful here with that franchise pillar. And there are other signals here that, that suggest that the Hornets are not going to be able to make the playoffs this year. Namely, Steve Clifford, who was a, the head coach a few years ago who was brought back after Kenny Atkinson backed away. You know, I was there for media day and hearing him talk about the future of the team and like their expectations this year. He was very noncommittal about the playoffs. And secondly, Mark Williams. Their star, you know, in the draft at Duke that they got in the first round in the lottery, he said he was already going to be the third string center. So I already heard multiple accounts, Tom, multiple accounts from inside the Hornets organization that Nick Richards is multiple accounts, Tom, multiple accounts from inside the Hornets organization that Nick Richards is. The real deal. A favorite of Steve Clifford. And and finally, all these young big men that the Hornets are not saying he's going to be their star. That's, all, that's like every fifth word they talked about at, um, is how good Nick Richards has looked. Um, and so Gordon Hayward, another thing is that they want to make sure that Gordon Hayward's healthy this season, and that does mean load management. Okay, yep. That means making sure they're careful about how many minutes he plays, when he plays, how often he plays. And to me, that doesn't sound like a team that is – pushing to win every single night. Now, they, they, I think they have the long-term view here that they want to make sure they get Gordon Hayward healthy over the next couple of years of his you know, remaining contract. Um, but also you can see the laying the foundation for making sure that he's healthy for a trade, right? Um, yeah. And so if you're the Lakers and you're tired of this Russell Westbrook uh, sideshow and the circus that follows every move, everything he does pregame, during the game, um, the contracts work. Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, to the to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook. The you're the Lakers. You want a big ball handler who can play guard multiple positions. Gordon Hayward shoot the ball, handle. Um, Terry Rozier, fifth most three pointers in the NBA over the last three years. The number one on that list is Buddy Heald, also one of the guys who is being talked about with the Lakers. So I do think that there is a lot of ingredients here for a potential trade. If LaMelo Ball, again, this is a big if, if LaMelo Ball is not healthy or that, that ankle doesn't recover the way that they, uh, that they want it to, and they're going to take the long-term approach here with LaMelo too, and they're going to take the long-term approach here with LaMelo, um, I could see um, them switching gears and deciding this isn't our year. The, the absolute... Uh, not the worst summer possible for the Hornets, but they offered the job to Kenny Atkinson, who was agreed to, then got pulled out from underneath them. Then they have to uh, re-sign uh, Steve Clifford, and then the, the uh, Miles Bridges scenario happens. This has not been a good offseason, uh, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel here, and it's seven foot four, seven foot five, maybe <laughs> seven foot six. Who knows how tall that light is at the end of the tunnel? And I just wonder if Charlotte and and the Lakers are a good fit here if those two first-round picks are thrown into the deal. And you know what better than I do, the 2027-2029 picks from the Lakers. Um, I think they're going to get traded here this season. I don't know which team is going to be there, but 
I can tell you that the Charlotte Hornets, if they're going to be in a rebuild with LaMelo Ball as the face of that rebuild, which team is going to be there? But I can tell you that the Charlotte Hornets, if they're going to be in a rebuild with LaMelo Ball as the face of that rebuild, those picks would really come in handy. Yeah, we've talked about the Lakers plenty on this show the last couple of months. Um, I think the Lakers clearly would prefer to try to move one first and like two seconds instead. First and like two seconds instead. Don't know if that's amenable or if other teams will be amenable to that. Um, but let's bring it more towards and, – and one more Lakers point is also – someone has told this to me earlier in the week when I was talking about um, – because Phoenix and Utah are kind of connected right now in terms of just talking about what's on the docket transactionally being that the Suns were looking at uh, Bojan Bogdanovic before he got moved to Detroit, and there's still that Clarkson thing that could could happen. And obviously, you know, the Lakers were trying to flip Westbrook for those players too, and it's kind of a big love triangle as most of these transaction cycles end up um, occurring where – two teams want one guy or three teams want one guy and they all kind of get held up or even like, you know, not all things, not all of them can happen. Right. Um, but the Lakers still apparently are keen on trying to keep some salary flexibility next season. So I do wonder if Hayward and Terry Rozier with all that money still left on their deals is something, I mean, the Lakers would have to really believe in those two guys being pieces that move their needle towards championship contention. But to bring it back to Charlotte's side of things, I totally understand why why that would be a beneficial move. Um, we talked about it dating back to the spring when that 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 rumor mill we, we referred to earlier was starting to spin and move. Um, we talked about it dating back to the spring when that 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 rumor mill we, we referred to earlier was starting to spin and clearing their books and, and, and getting flexibility to, to really build up around LaMelo before his big deal um, and, and anticipation of his big deal would be very beneficial from just a bookkeeping standpoint. Um, to Clifford's talk uh, at media day, not trying to set those playoff expectations. I mean, look, like he's a realistic guy. If he's not really, if he, if he, if he's looking at the same picture we are, probably doesn't behoove him to set playoffs or bust type of expectations from the jump. Right. Um, but totally. I will say he, you know, he decided to leave Orlando moved Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier to, to start this rebuild down there in earnest again from the previous rebuild from the Dwight Howard era that we <clears throat> talked about in my book. Um, and uh, Cliff, you know, is a winner. He, he wants to win games, and he was doing what he could to. And 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 I remember coaches around the league still talking about the magic at the end of that 2020, 21 year, um, still being tough and still being a team you had to prepare for and have you because Cliff's just such a good coach, and everyone I know in Charlotte is singing Cliff's praises. So he's um, he's an amazing being a team you had to prepare for and have you because Cliff's just such a good coach, and everyone I know in Charlotte is singing Cliff's praises. So. He's, um, he's an amazing head coach, um, really sharp, his press conferences, his handle of his handle of navigating strategy, the numbers and just feel and intellect. I mean, he's got it. He's a, he's a great head coach. And I do think that he has 
a tough job ahead of him this season because of those losses I talked about. Miles Bridges being the leading scorer for this team um, and a big part of what they did last year. Uh, so many of those alley-oops that, and amazing passes that LaMelo Ball threw were going directly into the hands of Miles Bridges. And so you can't, you can't talk about LaMelo Ball's success without talking about who's on the other end of those passes. And now without LaMelo Ball, they're going to have to slide Terry Rozier into that starting point guard position and then have Dennis Smith Jr. be the backup. Um, or he's going to be soaking up. And he's actually looked pretty good this preseason in the short time that you've gotten to see Dennis Smith Jr. But when you're looking at Book Knight, um, a guy who has looked really, really struggling to find his shot in the early going, I don't think he's ready to be a plus contributor to this team yet. If you're Cliff who's a great head coach and turns lemons into lemonade. Um, this is going to be a tough task ahead of him. Uh, um, this is going to be a tough task ahead of him. Uh, you know, Mason Plumley, as good as uh, Nick Richards has sounded early in the early going, they need some help up front. They need to defend at a high level and they need to rebound at a high level. I just don't know if they have the personnel to do it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Um, what's going to be more interesting or our final topic I wanted to touch on uh, is what, happens in Philadelphia this year. No offense to the Hornets organization or Charlotte fans, um, but one team is in the title race and the other is not. And the Sixers are obviously in this latest iteration of the post-process years. They've got Harden now locked into some type of deal. Who knows how long the future has been already discussed monetarily in Philadelphia. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, Tyrus Maxey has arrived. Joel Embiid is the two, the back-to-back runner-up MVP. Um, and I have been struck, as many have, by just how good Tyrus Maxey has been this preseason. And people around the league, and definitely people in Philadelphia, are starting to talk about how legitimate that uh, growth in this, that we've seen so far has been. Is it really just a product of Embiid not playing as often? I have been struck, as many have, by just how good Tyrese Maxey has been this preseason. And people around the league, and definitely people in Philadelphia. I heard Daryl Morey talking about this on the Rights of Ricky Sanchez podcast that I think came out Wednesday. Um, Philly needed a couple things to, to happen to move them from second round competitor to, to true champion and or true champion contender. And one of them was Maxi taking a leap such as this. And I saw on Twitter you had some nice data um, about maybe uh, Harden's lack of all MVP, all world ability performances that we haven't necessarily seen in his Philadelphia days. Um, maybe that's more of a, a result or, or a net result of Tyrus Maxi's emergence as well. So I'm, I'm curious just from your your, your analytical mind, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this kind of backcourt situation that's developing with uh, a potential Eastern Conference champion? Yeah, I mean, Tyrese Maxey is playing at an all-star level this preseason. Like, he has arrived, like you said. He's averaging 31 points per 36 minutes, um, just scoring the heck out of the ball. His three-point shot is a revelation. I keep thinking, like, okay, we knew he was going to be a slasher. We knew he was going to be a menace in transition. But the ability to be a 40% shooter or higher – um, from deep and the quality of looks that he's getting. These are some tough shots that he's getting and he's going to get more open shots as he plays with Joel Anthony. I'm mean, not Joel Anthony. That's uh, the Miami heats, Joel Anthony, the points per 36 minutes, um, just scoring the heck out of the ball. His three point shot. 
the more he's going to get those open shots and his life is going to be a whole lot easier if Harden is playing at a high level. But as we saw with the Miami Heat in the big three, um, someone is going to have a big dip in their scoring output. And it looks like James Harden might be the one that's going to see like, oh, wait, I'm the Chris Bosh of this this trio. Like the ball's going to be going into Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey is just going to be flying in the secondary break and just being in transition. And I'm going to be able to get you know, that, that second layer, uh, buckets. Cause right now Tyrese Maxey, the way that he's playing, it makes me think that like, it's not a one, two punch with Harden and Embiid. It looks like Tyrese Maxey is that guy. He is bringing it at that level. And for Daryl Morey to find that talent at the back half of the first round a couple years ago, um, it's just another one of those gems that he is able to turn those late first round, second round picks into a really good player an all-star caliber player. Um, it's another success story for him. So Maxi, his ability to develop and elevate into that third all-star for this team, uh, that's scary business for the rest of the league because unlike the big three with, with Miami, like Embiid is a defensive player of the year candidate stepping onto the floor minute one. An all-star caliber player. Um, it's another success story for him. So Maxi. That's that's a scary mixture of talent. So um, throw in P.J. Tucker, an enforcer there, and does the dirty work, and De'Anthony Melton, where he's, he's going to be able to come off the bench and be that, um, that second scorer for them. This is a championship-caliber player uh, team that we're looking at in Philly. Um, if Doc Rivers plays his cards right, like that very much will be uh, a champion at the end of the year. Yeah, they've got as good a shot as any team, I think, in that top tier with Milwaukee um, and Boston. And I, I'm still including Brooklyn. I mean, obviously, they kind of they kind of hung at the uh, Milwaukee last night. Um, I just – and Nets people that I know and trust are very confident that if things go right, things will go really right. You know what I'm saying? Um, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I just – I don't know. I said I think I saw this on your guys' show. I feel like anecdotally around the league, team staffers, coaches are like more optimistic than they ever have been about this season. But um, you can tell when certain teams and certain people that you've got rapport with over the years are kind of you know we'll see what happens this year. Like blah blah blah. Like oh we'll hope that yeah. like the like the Pacers are kind of in like a. You know, like, we'll see what the ping pong balls spin and maybe the Cavs don't have as good a year and we got their pick, like that type of stuff. That's not happening in Brooklyn. Like, the Nets are certainly of the mind that they've got the pieces that can build into something pretty special. And, and I'm not so willing to just, like, discredit them from that top tier. But I think if we get that second round of Milwaukee, Brooklyn, uh, Boston, Philly, and some combination. I think no one at home who is, is a fan of basketball in the NBA would be dis- disappointed. I think th- those four teams that have, if things go right, all have the firepower to be very well deserving of that. And Philly's got as good a chance as any. Um, and one other Sixers note, just knowing that they released Charles Baxey as expected today. Isaiah Joe's departure from the team was a little bit unexpected. I know my buddies in my high school uh, fantasy football group <laughs> chat were very disappointed to see him go. And I know fans tend to react sometimes. Like when Dennis Schroeder got added to the Lakers, Lakers fans were immediately like, oh, the Russell trade is imminent. 
And sometimes when, you know, the Sixers now have an open roster spot, I remember back from the hinky days, oh, a deal's coming, a deal's happening, they must have something up their sleeve. I don't believe that to be the case here. I think they're of the mind of several teams are where we're going to leave the roster spot open for flexibility and see what happens. And if there's a two-way opportunity where he doesn't clear waivers, they could bring Isaiah Joe back. But they're just a deep team. This is the deepest Sixers team that we've seen, I think, in the Joel Embiid era. So um, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what their ceiling can ultimately uh, combine into becoming. Yeah, and Isaiah Joe, he's a good player, man. He's he's good. So, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that uh, he should be taking Melton or uh, or or Maxi's minutes there, but I, I think he's going to land on a team um, and be a nice rotation player someday. So I think the Sixers are super deep. Um, I felt the same way about the Seth Curry acquisition a couple years ago, where it was like, man, Melton is super underrated, and yep. we're going to be talking about that in the playoffs or down the stretch um, about how sneaky good that ac- acquisition was. So I think. Um, Look, it's it's up to Doc Rivers to make this all happen, but certainly the ingredients are there. You know, they they talk about like t- the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning is like tornado watch is the ingredients are there for a tornado and a tornado warning is like, oh, there is been a tornado sighting. Like the w- ingredients are there for the Sixers to win a title and it's just it can, can they get it all together this season uh before James Harden you know, sees even more of a steep decline in his ability to play at a high level. All right, before we go, as typical tradition, I've asked you several questions. I think it's only fair. You don't have to, but if you want to put me on the spot, while I put you on the spot and you want to ask me a question, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm here to, uh, to serve at, 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 your, at your leash. Convince me why I shouldn't take the under on the Phoenix Suns. I mean, as we load up a question here from my guy, Charlie Saturday, look, winning is the magical elixir that that clears all all dirty air and what have you in the NBA. And I was pretty struck when I saw the Suns at preseason um, in Las Vegas against the Lake. I'm like tuned into their game against Denver. Like the pregame vibes seem pretty good. Like, the guys are all happy. DeAndre Ayton saying all that stuff in the summers under the bridge. Like if they can figure out a Jay Crowder trade, you know, maybe things do work out. Um, but shit, I mean, we'll see what happens with Cam Johnson's thumb. The Crowder stuff that I detailed the other day um, at Yahoo, like pretty much across the board, universal. What I've heard from rival team people is that this is not – uh, been the most productive way to have that situation unfold. So I, I think the only real reason to be bullish on them hitting the over is that they've been wire to wire the second or third or first best regular season record team for the last two years and basically have that whole core besides Jay Crowder back. And they're looking at Crowder as a tool only to use someone to get people back of his caliber, of rotation caliber. So um, we'll see. I mean, I'm not super um, optimistic, but I think they'll certainly be in the playoff picture and, and they are on paper still as talented as they were before and should have the ability to get and compete for home court in the playoffs. But yeah, it's uh, it's not looking like 
uh, you know, the muscle watch and the preseason vibes are not all trending in the right direction. That's for sure. I mean, the Jay Crowder stuff, the Cam Johnson stuff, the fact that they lost to an NBL team in preseason. Um, I just, you know, the demon Deacon inside of me, like the idea of like Chris Paul, did we see his best shot at winning a title? I, I think that's a very real possibility here is that Phoenix Suns. Um, up 2-0? Up 2-0. The, the, the situation was right there for the taking. And I just don't know if he's going to get closer to that unless some like seismic changes happen within the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Aiton situation resolves itself and he makes the leap from just like a really good young center to all-star, um, you know, 20 and 10 guy. I just don't see how Chris Paul gets to that level again um, with the Warriors ramping up with their youngsters being this, you know, impressive in the preseason and being that much better as sophomores. Um, and just, man, the, e the, e the top at the East is going to be so vicious this year. So I'm just, um, I'm trying to figure out like, man, uh, I see the Suns at like 52 and a half wins and I'm just sitting here like that was one of my locks for the under and what you're telling me here and what you're hearing, it doesn't make me feel any worse <laughs> for picking that. I don't, I don't feel like I, um, I was dissuaded from that position, but, um, Chris Paul has, has proved me wrong and proved teams wrong before. Uh, speaking of which, OKC a few years ago, replacing yeah. Russell Westbrook, like uh, it's tough to top, uh, doubt that dude. But that Sun situation doesn't look great right now, especially with the offseason to Sarver and trying to navigate that. It'll be interesting. All right, Charlie Saturday, quick, thoughtful, Steve question as you always bring. What, what's up? Oh, man, I'll try my best. So, guys, I uh, kind of lost in the Wembenyama uh, Scoot Henderson matchup was just how big of a night it was for the G league. Like I would have to imagine it was probably the highest rated G league game of all time. And I'm just wondering like with your third eyes open here going forward <laughs> as the NBA drops the age limit. Um, I just see a huge opportunity as like a, a product for people who want to watch the quality of play was so much better than a college game, I think. And I, I, going back to just something I've a drum I've been beating about the, um, salaries and pumping more money into the G league. Like, do you guys see a tangible thing here where the G league can keep becoming a place where, you know, the top players outside, just outside the NBA will come instead of heading overseas as well as, um, you know, the 18 year olds and, and 17 year olds. Like, is this going to keep, can every team have their own ignite essentially going forward? That's definitely something that's kind of in the ether, but I think the age limit has been a kind of hotly contested topic ever since Adam Silver's regime, I guess, if you will, kind of have floated it out there that that's something they would like to do. Um, I mean, for the G League really to have greater success, like you talked about, and like you said, um, there's got to be more investment from a monetary standpoint. And I do think that there is the potential if the league does shift some funding to, to prop up that league. And there's talk about, you know, do you add a third round of the draft, right? To be more of a feeder system for the G league. And if salaries get to be a competitive enough situation where, I mean, look, the fact that Rudy Gobert is making 40, $50 million and other guys are going to be end up making 60 and what have you, you would think there's a way to shave some of the BRI to put it down to the G League and maybe 
at that point, if salaries are $250,000, $500,000 across the board there, that the, that the G League could even potentially steal some European players versus the opposite, where guys are in there basically as long as they can put off going overseas. But I don't know, Tom, are, are you bullish on that happening anytime soon? It seems like more of a concept than something that's really more of a reality. Yeah, I just wonder about like if the age limit is is lowered, um, those Scoot Hendersons and Victor Wembanyamas aren't going to be in the G League anymore. They're going to be in yep. the NBA, right? So you're almost uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face, where you're um, you want to bring up more eyeballs to the G League, but all those guys that are moving the needle, they're going to be playing in the big club, right? So. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question for you too, is like, were you surprised at the attendance for that game? Despite all of the hype about Scoot and Wembenyama, <laughs> uh, I saw how empty the place looked. Yeah, it was pretty, especially the day game. Uh, I mean, the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Nevada is not exactly uh, a downtown arena in the heart of one of the cities, most bust- <laughs> yeah. or the country's most bustling cities, you know? Um, but I mean, to Charlie's point, too, like, the G League is better quality basketball than college. That is, like, pretty objective when you consider the fact that the G League is represented of the best players from college who didn't make the league. So, um, yeah, I think there's plenty of opportunity there. Just the NBA has never really – and most teams, too, have never really cared too much about even winning games down there, let alone investing money and trying to create, like, a lasting product. So, there's a lot that – is standing in the way a lot, but a lot of that does seem very doable to, I think, Charlie's point. And it really is just a matter of time for someone to start looking at it as a different opportunity than just the, the Rockets using RGV as a strategy laboratory. And, you know, you send your assistant coach down there to get head coaching opportunities and stuff like that, or, or, or send your two-way players or your younger players to get minute runs. It's not really looked at as anything more than that for right now. And maybe there's a world where we get like G League, and I mean, maybe I think there is some type of union now for the players and, and the coaches. The coaches and executives down there need it too. Like, there's just uh, the the G is not treated as seriously as the NBA is by by any stretch. So, um, uh, I don't know. I think to bring us to a close one day, maybe. But there's a lot obviously standing in the way from that, um, Tom. Before you get out of here, anything you want to plug? Basketball Illuminati. I'm going to say it three times. Basketball Illuminati, basketball Illuminati, basketball Illuminati. Say it three times. <laughs> keep your third eye open. Uh, we have a lot of fun on this NBA pod for the Levitard show. Um, Amin Hassan and I uh, just had Mr. Jake Fisher on the show. So if you haven't checked it out, this week we talk about Wembenyama and that whole game and, and what it's like to be in the presence of an alien, um, we tell the secrets about the NBA. So if you want to, you know, add another NBA podcast to your rotation, make sure it is Basketball Illuminati on the Lebetard and Friends podcast network. It's also a great show to go on and have a 19-second clip cut out of context and then have the Thunder fans yelling at me all last night. We had nothing to do with that, man. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm sorry about that. That was, um, but that's what they're gonna do, man. It's it's hard in these streets. I'm just adding fan bases that hate me, and then you know when you have the haters, that's when you're doing something right. <laughs>
All right, Tom. 